0: Well, again, thank you for joining us here on Easter Sunday, and um, this is the one day a year I wear a tie to church, so um, we may make it a tradition at some point where it happens every week, but for now, it's once a year. So, um, just so thankful for Jesus, and thankful that you're here, and just loved as we were ending worship, just saying those words, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's the only name I'm aware of on planet Earth that sends shockwaves into the human soul. Uh, Jesus is the only name I'm aware of that actually can raise someone from the dead. Jesus is the only name that makes kings and rulers tremble and bow. Uh, Jesus is the only name that can turn someone from darkness into light. It's the only name that can call forth someone out of the tomb out of the grave. Jesus is the only name that has the power to overcome the dark things in this world. Jesus, today we celebrate the risen Jesus because he actually has authority and power and victory, not only over the spiritual world, but also over the physical. And the name of Jesus is the only one that can heal the broken leg miraculously, that can take away the headache and make the blind see. Jesus, if you don't get anything else today, if you tune me out right now, I won't be offended, but I want you to walk out with Jesus. Jesus is it. I don't know where you're coming from. I don't know how long you've been part of this church. You've been part of church your whole life. If you turned your heart over to to Christ last week, or if you're coming this morning because someone invited you and said there's candy, I don't really know why you're here. But if you're here, I want you to know that Jesus loves you. He has a plan for your life, and he's committed to you knowing that. And we're committed to you uh, to walking through life with you if you want to be part of this family. So again, just so grateful that you're here. And you know the the Easter story. This past week we call Holy Week, and it's because it's the events of this last week when we celebrated on the church calendar, or the events two thousand years ago that led us to actually having a church. That it led us to actually being believers and Christians. This is what led to a movement that spread across the four corners of the earth. And it culminated that Thursday night. Jesus had his last supper. He was having a meal, celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples, and he was there with his closest friends. And in the midst of those friends, there was a man named Judas who was one of the disciples, but he had chosen to betray Jesus, had gone previously to the chief priests and others who wanted Jesus dead, who wanted him arrested and gone and made a deal with them for 30 pieces of silver and said, hey, I'll turn them over to you. Well, that night... They ended the meal. Jesus took his disciples. They went out to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. He went to pray, knowing what was about to come. He knew within minutes, within moments, he was about to be arrested. So he's there and he's praying. And Judas and he brings some of the chief priests, uh, uh, soldiers, and the Roman soldiers, and they come and they arrest Jesus. Well, that night, they put Jesus on trial. Throughout that evening, into the wee hours of the morning, six different trials Jesus went on. Most people go through one. He went through six in about 12 hours. See, he was put before Annas, who was the father of the chief priest, and Annas mocked him and scorned him and put him on trial, couldn't find anything wrong with him. Then he sent him over to Caiaphas, his son, who was the chief priest, and Caiaphas lashed out at him, but they couldn't really do anything. They brought false witnesses before him, and couldn't find anything guilty on him. Then they put him before the Sanhedrin, which is the religious leaders, trial number three, and here he goes. He's now there, and they're trying to figure out what's going on, and they can't get to him, so they decide, let's go take him to Pilate. And so they they take him before Pilate. Pilate meets with them, and is kind of taken aback by this guy who's so peaceful and kind, and it's like, why are they angry at you? Then Pilate sends him off to Herod. Herod's kind of a crazy, wacky guy, and he was kind of the governor of the area, and he's weird, and he started mocking Jesus actually sent him out with a purple robe on him to kind of mock him as the king of the Jews, and then went back to Pilate, and finally here, trial six, Pilate's there, and he's like, look, you guys want me to arrest this guy, to declare him guilty. I can't find anything wrong with him, so I'm going to take a thing of water, I'm going to wash my hands and show all of this crowd right now, I'm washing my hands of this, because I can't find anything wrong with him, but because you guys are yelling so much, because You've got this big crowd. I'll let you guys decide. So who do you want? He said, great, to honor your holiday Jews, there's Barabbas, the known criminal, the known rioter, the known the guy who's actually been convicted convicted guilty. There's Barabbas and there's, there's Jesus, which we can't find anything wrong with him, but you guys hate him, so who do you want? And the Jewish leaders, they started telling the people, say, crucify him, crucify him. So the crowd started shouting, crucify him. Eventually, Pilate said, okay, let Barabbas go, the known criminal, and who will take his place? Jesus, the innocent one. That's what happened on Friday, and we know they picked Jesus, and he was then sent to Roman crucifixion. And when you see this cross up here this past Friday, Friday is Good Friday, and we actually took time here at our service to have people come up with hammers and nails and On note cards, they wrote down just the sin. They wrote down the shame. They wrote down the wickedness. They wrote down the things that Jesus had paid the price for, for them. And we nailed them up on the cross. It was beautiful to see. Children and parents and people just coming and just saying, I'm nailing this up on the cross to remember what he did. And you notice Jesus is not on the cross anymore. (laughs) That's why you're here today. That's good news. If he was up on the cross, there'd be a problem. He was on the cross for about half a day. But then they took him down after he died. He said, it is finished. And they took him and they buried him in the tomb of Joseph of And they put him in his tomb. And so on Saturday, Jesus rested. He was dead. He was lifeless. All hope is lost. And for many, I could imagine it was probably the longest Saturday of their lives. It was the Sabbath. But then, Sunday's coming. Sunday's coming. The sun will rise. I don't know if you got to catch the sun rising this morning. If you didn't, you can catch it tomorrow. But every day that sun rises should be a reminder to you that when that sun rose, when that sun comes up, what well, God is saying, there is new life today. Yesterday was rough. Yesterday was horrible. Yesterday you got fired. Yesterday you got in an argument. Yesterday you don't know what happened, but there's today. When he rises, the sun comes up and it's like there's newness of life and I cannot describe it to you how God wired this in us in this creation. But some, for some reason, across the world, every human soul, when you look at that sun rising, it just does something in you. I've never heard someone say, man, I hate it when the sun rises. Now, if you're trying to sleep in, I get it, okay? But if you're outside and you're looking at nature and it's like there's something about it that God designed for us as humans to say, oh, but what are we wanting to say? We're saying, yes, God. Today's a new day. And so what happens is, Sunday comes, and we'll pick it up in Luke 24. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Those would be angels, so you know. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and the Mary and the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Today is Easter Sunday, known as Resurrection Sunday and we celebrate this is the day we celebrate every sunday but particularly today that jesus christ is no longer in the tomb and what's interesting is in this story as the women approach the tomb two angels show up and again i love that this story is told in different ways in matthew mark luke and john and in this passage it says in dazzling apparel other passage it says two angels were there and so these men are there and these women show up expecting to find the stone rolled and expecting to see Jesus still in there and the angels say, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? I think the angels are trying to get them to shift, to pivot, to go from what they were experiencing to what they've known to what's new. To go from an old way of thinking to the new way. To shift from yeah, this is the way things were done, but I'm letting you know there's something new happening. So I want us to look at a few things that I believe that you could take from this this question of why do you seek the living among the dead? The first one is this, he's trying to pivot them from death to life. They came in expecting death, but what they got was life. Because the angel said he's not dead, he is alive. You thought you'd find him in the tomb, but you thought wrong. You see the resurrection means not that you have uh, that that you have this slow death in life. You know a lot of people are born, you live for 60, 80, 100 years, you want to go above 100, awesome, I bless you. People can live life, but it's actually a long slow death because there's no hope at the end. Their only hope is just trying to garab as much as they can, experience as much as they can, enjoy as much as they can until it's all gone, until it's all spent, till it's all used up. But you see, from death to life means, the resurrected life means you live to live. You live to live. Now all of a sudden, now your mindset shifts. The angels are saying to them and to us, you live to live. It's kind of like in marriage. The pinnacle of your marriage should not be the wedding day. Now, it may be the biggest party you've ever thrown, That's fair, all right? It's probably the only time in your life you can have all your friends and all your family gathered together to celebrate, to eat, and hang out, and dance, and do whatever. That's probably true. But that should be the beginning, right? Like, your wedding day is like your salvation day. It's like, I am saved. I am redeemed. I've made a covenant with him. He forgives me. He's put it on the cross, it is, it is just like next Sunday getting baptized. It is newness of life coming forward. That is what that is. Therefore, your wedding day should be the beginning, but not the end. It's beginning, and then it just gets better and better and better. I love uh, Jamie Miller. He's uh, a pastor for Antioch Church up in Fort Worth. Antioch, Fort Worth. He actually serves on our board of advisors. And every time Jamie comes to speak in our discipleship school, he always does one of these. He's like, you know, I've been married for so many years and it just keeps getting better and better and better. He's just, he's, he's always thinking about his marriage. You talk to Jamie for 10 minutes, he's telling you about his wife. He's just, he's like really in love with her. I mean, like really, really. Like you can, you can talk about sports and somehow he'll find a way to talk about Kim, you know? It's like, you know, we were talking about football. How'd you go from football to Kim? What, what's happening? He loves his wife and he loves her more now than he did 10 years ago. Because he's, his capacity's grown. His understanding, he's increased. His love, his knowledge, that's what it is with Jesus. What you know at the day of salvation should be the littlest you ever know. And then the fun adventure is you get to know him on this earth, as limited as that is. And then guess what? In heaven, you're just hanging out. And it's like, whoa, it's all here now. So like the fun adventure game part is now. Like this is the adventure. In heaven, I, I mean, the outcome's all good, so I don't know what the adventure's gonna be. It's just gonna be glorious, you know? But the adventure is now. We move from death to life. That question, why do you see the living among the dead, I believe, was trying to pivot them from the cross to resurrection. You know, if we get stuck on the cross and don't move to the resurrection, then our faith feels stuck on tragedy without the triumph. Your faith can get stuck on the tragedy of the death of Jesus. Now, without the death of Christ, there's no need for me to from the dead. <laughs> See, the gospel is not just the resurrection. It's the death and resurrection. It's both and. But this one comes first, but we don't dwell on this one. This is the one that actually pulls us into, yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I need saving. Yes, Jesus died. And that was a horrific day on Friday. But man, Sunday trumps Friday. Sunday trumps Friday. It has to. Like the triumph has to trump the trauma. It has to be the place of victory. It's kind of like in baptisms, right? So next week we are going to dunk people in a horse trough. It's a really nice one. We've designed it to where it looks very cool. Um, but people are going to go under. And, and what is it we say to them, right? When we baptize someone, we say, buried with him in baptism Raised to walk in oldness of life. No, I got gotcha. you. Some of you are like, does it say that? No, that's not what it says in the Bible. Buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Newness of life. Not oldness, not the old. Man, so glad you got baptized. Just keep doing what you were doing. Uh-uh. So glad you're baptized. Now you're new. You're washed inside and out. It is all changing now, buddy. And that's when people come out, there's a smile, there's a joy, because they're like, I know what was in my past. I know what I just buried. And I'm coming up, and I'm alive, and I am the risen Peter. I'm the risen Jenny. I'm the risen John, because I'm risen with him. You're alive. It's meant to move us from the cross to the resurrection, so we can live a victorious life. That question, why do you see the living among the dead, is to shift us from... Forgetting to remembering. Forgetting to remembering. You know, um, the angels say to those women in verse 6 and 7 Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? Now, let's not all judge these women because. They're like the only people that actually showed up to the tomb that day, right? I mean, so although they forgot, at least they made the steps to go figure out what's going on. But the angels are saying, ladies, you came here expecting Jesus to still be dead, but you forgot what he said. He just said a few days ago in Galilee, I'm going to be handed over to sinful people. I'm going to be crucified. And on the third day, I'm coming back. Now, that's a tough statement to swallow because... At that point, there wasn't a lot of people being resurrected back to life. I think Lazarus, you know, that was, that was, a, that was there. But, like, other than that, it, was, it wasn't like every day, you know. But the angels reminding them. In church, for us, we got to be people that are reminded of who God is and what he's already done. Right? How do we know that? The word of God has to be our anchor. It has to be the thing we go back to it has to be. Just yesterday, we're celebrating Easter with, with, uh, with, with our family, and Ashley's parents are with them, and we're sitting down. We have the kids. We say, we say to, to, uh, to, to my kids' grandpa, we say, hey, D-Dum, I want you to tell us some stories, just from childhood. Just tell us some stories. And I was interested. I was like, what are these stories? You know, he has some hilarious stories. I mean, they were funny. My kids were all laughing, and, but it was memories, but it was stories, and it's like, There's no way we were gonna be able to get that story and pass it on unless he told us, unless he reminded us of that or that experience or that lesson that God taught him. And when you look at the word of God, it's to remind us so that we don't forget. So much so that in Deuteronomy, it talks about how do we raise children. It's like, look, write it on your foreheads. Put it on the wall. It's like, make sure you remember the words of God in your life. Do not forget what he has done for you. Do not forget how he brought you out of the land of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. Do not forget God's faithfulness. Church family, we can't forget. We can't forget the words of Jesus. That's not a good excuse for any of us. Oh, I forgot about that. I forgot he said, love your enemies. I forgot he said to forgive. Oh, I forgot that he said confess. I forgot about serving. I for- <laughs> he's told us. The problem is, we've got so many other voices coming in our lives that it just gets kind of muddled, you know? I'm there with you. But he's encouraging us this Easter Sunday to say, don't forget. Don't forget what I've already told you. The fourth thing I believe the angels were trying to say to them was to shift them from law to grace, from law to grace. See, the death, burial, and resurrection frees us from keeping the law in order to be reconciled and justified before God. In short, Christ has fulfilled the law in our place. He went on the cross. We wouldn't have to. Like, that's what it means to go from law from grace. He came to actually fulfill the law, not to abolish. He fulfilled it. But, you know, when you live life that is under the law without grace, you're like everyone else in history who just tries to just do better. Like to make sure you say the right prayers at the right time of day, to make sure that you sing the songs with the right pitch, to make sure that you dress appropriately, to make sure that you say and do and give this much and serve this much and read this much and memorize that much and say this much and humble yourself. And it's all this game of how much good can I do Will it outweigh my bad? Will it be enough to be pleasing? Will it be enough for God to say, yes, that's enough. You're in, buddy. (laughs) People a lot smarter and a lot holier than us tried that. Never worked. It never worked. The lengths at which people went to, to be perfect. I mean, we cannot even imagine what's happened in history. The most, whoever you think that radical person is to you, just take it up a hundred times, people in history. I mean, they lived, devoted their entire lives. And yet it wasn't enough. And God sent his son and said, Jesus, you're going to take it because they can't do it. This man who will become the perfect sacrifice. It moves us from law to grace. Let me explain it this way. You know, um, if, if you live under grace, it's kind of like being a three-year-old. Remember when you were three? okay, and uh, and you had a piece of candy and someone took it away from you, like you gathered too much, you know, on Christmas or Easter time, and then your parents are like, we're not going to have that, and you're like, right, you just get all red, and you kind of, and you dig your heels in, and you like look up, and you're making sure they see you, and your angry face, you know, and you keep looking, right, you know what that is, some of you have some of these children, I'm not saying we do at all, but but we've heard of these children, and <laughs> so they're just like, you know, and um. It's like, that's like us as adults trying to live under the law. It's just like, I just can't control my, just, I just want the candy. It's just frustrating, you know? And, but when you have grace, guess what? It's like, oh. wait, I have the Holy Spirit, patience, love, self-control. Like, wouldn't you love to see a YouTube video of like 53-year-olds, and they're all given candy and asked to give it back, and they're like, Sure. You'd be like, sign my kid up for that program. It's like, that's the program. What church is that? You know, like, we want to go there. I'm telling you, that is meant to be the life of a believer. Where the world looks at it and it's so strange, it's like so unearthly that you could be so at peace even though you just got fired. What is wrong with you? Why aren't you screaming like the rest of us? Because it's going to be okay. This earth is not my final home. Yeah, it's tough, but others have had it tougher and they're in heaven, and I don't want to be the chump that's out. I want to, hey, look, that was hard. I endured it too, and I'm here in heaven. Yeah. Like, their hope is not now. It's not gathering as much as I can just to satisfy all the needs and desires I have, and then I just die and I go live in the ground. I mean, or I go die in the ground. and That's not it. It's like there is an eternal home, a place, a place of hope. That's the grace. And the great thing about the grace is it actually empowers us to really love and obey Jesus fully. Yeah. Right? I mean, how can you... He says, if you love me, you obey my commands. How can you do that? Like, you can't write enough sticky notes on the mirror about what to remember to do, when to do it, so you're perfect. But the grace of God is this thing that comes upon us and empowers us to actually do what he said. That's what the grace is. That's why the grace takes your faith up. It takes your obedience up, not down. The angels are saying, ladies, you're meant to go to a new level you've never experienced before. The last thing I want to share It's meant to take us from sorrow to joy, from sorrow to joy. The women came (laughs) grieving, obviously. They came with spices to put on his body and kind of say a final goodbye. But then they were surprised. He wasn't there. And I love it. 1 Peter 1 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Isn't that good? Like, that's what the death and resurrection is, to give you an imperishable, unfading eternity with him. But we know sometimes we have a hard time believing the story. Sometimes you've told a friend a testimony, and they're like, dude, that didn't happen. There's no way. I mean, I believe in miracles, but that's like uber miracle. I don't know about that one, right? You know, the women were there at the tomb. Angels spoke to them, but that wasn't enough. And then Jesus shows up and like, whoa. And then they're like, they run back to the crew a couple miles away, by the way. I don't know if they were speed walking or jogging. I don't know what they were doing. But they had to go a couple miles to the tomb and then back to the house. They show back up, and they tell everybody, guys. Do you know what just happened? To this room full of the disciples, these are the people who walked with you for three and a half years, plus others, they come back. So what would you do if at least four, we know there's at least four, maybe five women, came back saying, do you know what just happened? Wouldn't you be like, let's go? Probably not. We'd probably be like a lot of the guys stuck in the house. Now, a few of us would get up and run. There's a few Peters and Johns in here. It was like, I'm going to go check it out for myself. But everybody else, this is what it says in Luke 24, 11, But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Oh, talk about like a crushing moment. Have any of us not believed the words? If you're not raising your hand, you're lying. You'll never not believe God? I'll provide for you. I'll take care of it. You can trust me. Just do this and it's going to be okay. All of us have been guilty of hearing this story, reading the words of life from Jesus and then not believing it. And here these women came and they said, this is what happened. And only Peter and John, the ones we know, got up. But you know, it's okay. Sometimes people will believe instantly. And sometimes they'll hesitate questions more things you need to have sorted out but you know it's our job to bring the message it's his job to reveal himself our job is to bring the message it's jesus job to reveal himself and we know he does because just a few hours later what happens jesus shows up in that room to that whole group didn't believe and said surprise and thomas and the rest are like this is still unbelievable Touch me. Come on. This is me. Remember, we share the message. Don't get hung up on what people believe or don't. Just keep sharing the message and pray for them and trust that Jesus will reveal himself to them in his timing. The last thing I want to share is you know, that later that day, that's a wild Sunday, by the way. It mean, was a long day. There's a lot of stuff going on. A couple of these guys were in the house who heard the women share about the story, didn't believe. They're now walking together to this village called Emmaus, on the road to Emmaus, and they're walking and talking. Hey, man, so what do you think about this story? I don't know what you think about it. I I mean, it's kind of crazy, but I don't know. I'm still not believing. It's kind of questionable, and they were pretty emotional about it, and so I'm not really sure. I don't know what they were saying. But these two guys were not fully believing. And then what happens? Jesus, like, sneaks up. I don't know if he's, like, hiding in a ditch, and it's like, I'm going to get the—I don't know what happened. He shows up, and he's probably wearing a hoodie or something because they don't recognize him. He's like, hey, guys, can I walk you they're like, sure, stranger. So now they're walking on this road to Emmaus. He's over here in their conversation. Oh, man, what a, what a great moment. Just if we get a video of this moment, it's like Jesus, risen Lord, glowing, you know, it's just oh, fire, just like, and then these guys are just like, oh, who's this guy? You know, what I mean, I can't even imagine the moment. But he's there walking with them. He's listening, being gracious as Jesus is. But then he has the right to interrupt, just so you know. Husbands and wives, you can't interrupt each other, but he can certainly interrupt you. And he interrupts them, right, as they're walking, and he says in Luke 24, 25, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now, at this point, they still don't know it's Jesus. They just felt like this brother from nowhere just called them out. And so then it says he stayed with them, had a meal with them, and as he was breaking bread, taking communion, it says their eyes were opened. And that moment when he literally took the bread, they were like, oh my gosh, this is Jesus. What a moment. And they said to each other, and then he disappeared. Gone. And they turned to each other. Here's what they said Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? That burning. You see, we share the message, but Jesus reveals himself. He reveals himself as a burning in your heart. Story after story after story of people's lives being transformed, people coming to place of salvation, includes something on the lines of, there is something I felt. I can't describe it to you. I walked in the room, and I knew he was there. I don't understand it, but someone was sharing a story, and as they were sharing, I started just having goosebumps. As they were sharing, I literally, my heart started beating. As they were sharing, my mouth got dry. I don't know. I had a physical reaction to this news because it was so good, it was so unbelievable. That's what Jesus is today. So I want to stand as we close. And as we close, we're going to have the worship team coming up and our prayer team, if you're one of our life group leaders, make your way up here if you would. We're doing something a little different. This will be close today, and that is we want to hear testimonies from people who have had their lives transformed. All right, so come on up. And because I don't want you guys to just read a story that happened two thousand years ago of Jesus dying and being resurrected and people's lives being changed, I need you to know that two thousand years later, this is having a significant impact now. Like it's happening now. It's happening in your life, and it's happening today. So, guys, go for it.
1: Um, my name's Sean, and uh, I grew up in the church. I went to church a lot. I actually, went to a parochial school or Christian school through about eighth grade, and was even uh, president of my youth group. And uh, I knew a lot. I knew a lot, but I didn't follow Jesus whatsoever. And uh, honestly, for about ten years of my life, I did just about everything I could to to harm it and to affect it, to to try and kill my mar- marriage and and when I was asked to, to give this yesterday, I've reflected a ton, and I'm not even sure whether I'd be standing here or even alive had Jesus not met me about five or six years ago. Um, it was just by the grace of God that someone invited, invited me to church, and I was sitting somewhere in that area, and I felt like God spoke directly to me, that I had to admit I was broken to ever be healed. And it was out of that brokenness over the last six years that I've watched Jesus resurrect every single aspect of my life. Come on. Come on. I've went from a... From a person who teaches and coaches to a person who really wants to build relationships and watch lives change. From a person who is just consumed with coaching to a person who has given up coaching and wants to be with my family. From a person who's addicted to alcohol for over 10 years of their life to a person who hasn't drank in over four and a half years. Um, To a person who realistically loved the American dream and loved the cush life. um, To a person who's willing to surrender everything for Jesus. And more than anything I found life I found peace and I found love in a person a person of Jesus not in not in a place not in anything I've read but in a person who met me personally and changed my life and I will never forget that and the cool thing is I get to wake up every day and walk with him Amen Come on.
2: My name is Joseph and I have also once been dead, but now alive in Christ. So my story is that, you know, I'm actually one of the first, uh, the first Christian in my family of all my generation line that I know of. um, And and, and they are Buddhists or atheists currently, and I grew up as a Buddhist. So I didn't know Jesus. I didn't grow up in the church. And um, I actually got to the point about eight, nine years ago when I was in college here at Texas A&M, I, I was so chasing after the things of the world where I wanted to, I was running to drugs to meet and satisfy my needs. I was, I was running to alcohol. I was borderline alcoholic. And, and I, I got to the point where I hit rock bottom and I wanted to kill myself. And the day I wanted to kill myself, I remembered a few months back, four months at that moment, someone had told me about Jesus and the resurrection life that he could But not only that, that he was real. That he was actually God who created the world, and you can have a relationship with him. (laughs) And I didn't believe that. And he said, hey, talk talk to him. Tell him what's on your heart. And not only will he listen, he'll actually speak back to you. I'm like, what? God, he can actually talk to me? He's like, yeah. Well, okay, whatever. So here I am in my dorm room. The day I was about to kill myself, I said, God, I don't even know if you're real. What, I don't know what's going on. I just started talking to him. You know, I, I, I was at my last straw and all of a sudden I heard another voice that wasn't my own. It, it, it was the wildest thing. My own voice was going this way and then all of a sudden, hello? And, it, and I had an hour long conversation with God that day. And, and, and I never felt so much peace and joy ever in my life. And, and I couldn't fake this guys, this was real. I was only in my own dorm room and all I did was have a conversation with God. And and, and I gave my life to Jesus that day, knowing that I never heard Buddha speak back to me, never heard uh, Hindu God speak to me, I never heard Muhammad speak back to me, yet I've tried. And and then all of a sudden, I said, wow, Jesus, you are my God, you are the Lord, and he set me free that day from death to life, and from resurrection. I'm not addicted to those things anymore, I'm more alive than ever, and guess, guys, guess what? I still hear the voice of God today. It's still the same voice I heard eight, nine years ago. And and from death to life, I'm here to testify that God is real and I am resurrected. And it's not because of me, but because of him. So hallelujah, he is alive and he is risen
1: today. Amen.